Welcome back, everyone, to R2Cast number 79, or the third edition of the group podcast. I cannot come up with a cool name. I feel like group podcast almost runs off the tongue, but it just sounds like I'm forcing a cool name, and it's really not a good idea. But today, I'm here with some excellent ladies that might actually be able to help with that, because it is almost their profession to make things sound cool and show other companies off. So uh, if you can make R2K sound cool, then that would be quite impressive. Today, we've got Jane Craigie Marketing, and I've got three of the ladies behind JCM, Jane Craigie Marketing. Uh, obviously, Jane Craigie, I believe she's quite important in this company. Uh, and then also Rebecca Dawes and Claire Taylor. Two weeks ago, we had Ray Ayrshire and Aaron on, and we had two people becoming the first people to feature twice in an R2 cast, and Alec Perry and Christine Cuthbertson. Today, we have another one in Claire Taylor, who, oh God, I really should have checked this. I believe... I've done too many interviews now to try and get this right every time. I think Claire was episode number 18, if you want to go back and check. I might be completely wrong to hear to hear Claire's story. Uh, well, just Claire and myself, but today we're going to learn about the whole company. So I think the best person to pass over to is probably Jane. Could you tell us, Jane, a little, bit, a little brief intro about Jane Craigie Marketing? Just before we get started with another episode of the R2Cast, I would like to thank our primary sponsors, A-Plan Rural. A-Plan Rural are heavily involved on the social media scene in the ag space with 120,000 followers on Instagram. They use this following to host social media takeovers with farmers throughout the country to showcase their stories. They also post to their rural community blog with further stories about these people in the industry. On top of this, they like to support initiatives that are championing the British agricultural industry, such as myself. So thank you to Aplan Rural for that. Yeah, so we've kind of morphed into JCM because we started the business, or I started the business back in 2004. Um, and it was at a time when I was moving also back up to the northeast of Scotland. So it was a good time to move from being employed to being in that scary world of being self-employed. And um, yeah, ever since I graduated, I did a degree in agriculture originally, um, not from a farming background, but absolutely love everything about the land and agriculture and food. And um, yeah, since graduating, all I've done really is communications and marketing um, and worked with some amazing marketers over the years and uh, started up on my own, which was pretty scary. Um, so I think in the first year, I probably turned over about six grand. Um, if I was lucky, so kind of scraping around to see what work I could find. Um, and the business has just grown from there and really um, through, I suppose, network, um, passion for the industry. Um, and I suppose a little bit of knowledge about food and farming and, and rural, um, the rural economy. And yeah, it's just grown since then, really. Um, I always swore I'd never employ anybody thinking that um, using just freelancers was easier um, and then I met Rebecca and I just thought, wow, what an amazing young woman. She was just full of spirit and, um, you know, passion and knowledge. And, and so it was pretty scary for both of us. Rebecca was just leaving her job um, and she can tell you a bit more about that. And for me, it was scary taking somebody on, but haven't looked back. Um, so, yeah, Rebecca was the first em employee. Um, and we specialised really very much in what I started with, which was um, rural food and agriculture. Um, so anything to do with that space, really. And um, 
we'll, we'll come back to you, Jane, to hear a bit about your backstory there. You've mentioned Rebecca. Let's move on to yourself, Rebecca. Could you tell us a bit about yourself prior to, prior to working with Jane? Yeah, so um, I am very proudly English. D- dare I say that on a Scottish podcast? Um, but with a off- Scotland top on. Just <laughs> with a Scotland top. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've got a tiny bit of Scotland blood in me, so I probably better better show that side of the family. Um, so started my career down in in England um, from a farming background. My parents are livestock farmers. Although when we first started, we were livestock, arable, um, and diversification. So we had a farm shop, butchery, and kids education centre went to university and swore I would never work in agriculture um when I was asked by my lecturers having done an event management course what did I want to do I said I do not want to go into ag don't want to follow mum and dad want to do something different went and worked six months for the pharmaceutical industry doing international events and went home to do agriculture because I missed ag too much so you are drawn to it very easily I think in life um Worked for um, international event management's freelance after going home. So can, sort of kept my door in the event world of international. Um, and then sort of over a com- combination of years, did food and wine festivals and all sorts of sort of lovely, lovely events that you can do alongside the ag industry and got to eat and drink far too much. And um, my parents decided to return to our roots in Scotland in 2013. Um, so my grandmother was born in Ochenlary in Dumfries and Galloway. And um, we came back up here in 2013 in a, a very um, traditional way of coming up in lorries. We put all the livestock onto lorries and hauled them back up and got stuck at Carlisle because it was snowing and we couldn't get any further for 48 hours. Um, but in the 40s, my grandmother took all of our livestock down on trains. So it was kind of a, a return back to our roots. And I worked for the Scotland Young Farmers Organisation for my first sort of four or five years up here in Scotland. Loved every second of it. Amazing networking, a great organisation that you get to meet lots of people, but just had this sense of wanting to do a little bit extra. And then I met Jane um, through the International Federation of Agricultural Journalists um, when the Congress came to Aberdeenshire, which Jane was the chairman of at the time. Um, So met Jane through that. And like Jane said, we've never looked back. It's uh, I quite like the story of going down in trains and back in lorries. You know, it's, it's quite a cool callback. You, did I catch you right there? You said a kids' education centre. Yeah, so um, we are real, my family are real advocates of trying to get children out on farm massively, massively so. Um, so I'm the Scottish coordinator for Open Farm Sunday for Leaf up here in covering the whole of Scotland. But mum and dad were one of the first to take part when when it was kicking off in 2006. So one of their desires was to to open something on the farm. So we did things like lambing days and book clubs and all sorts of things where we raised money for the local school and got them to come out. And um, dad just had this this desire to want to do something more. So we converted an old barn on the farm into a drop-in kids centre and they could just come in and there was wool displays and there was tractors and there was all the things that we take for granted that they absolutely loved. And then we had this really sparky lady who works in our farm shop who just, you know, when you get that character who just brings it to life. So we had things like um, the um, Alice in Wonderland tea party, but converted into a Scotland and England and Wales farming story. So we had all the, the different um, sort of stories of farming, but in an Alice in Wonderland tea party world. So, yeah, everything was just great fun. That sounds class. That sounds really good. I think all, all four of us on the call here very pro that story but uh, I don't think many of us have a kids education centre at home so that's that's the first. Um, Claire could you give us a bit of an intro to yourself? Yes Wallace Um, so 
I grew up in the southwest coast of Scotland. Um, in the background of my screen, we've got um, Belted Galloways on um, our small farm at home and um, grew up. My mum was a vet and her mum was before her. So I, I was sort of grown up around, around farming. But um, I didn't join Young Farmers. Um, I was busy doing lots of sport at school and it was sort of a choice that I was given. So I, I feel like my entry into farming was slightly delayed from that sort of the network and the friendship side. And um, I ended up going off to university. I was at Edinburgh, um, so moved country to city, um, did politics and international relations, no intention of working within farming, wasn't really even on the horizon at that point. And then um, later on, I ended up going into the world of media. So I, I worked with the BBC, that was in 2014. I, I joined at the time of the Commonwealth Games in Scotland. So I covered sport as a, as a trainee sports reporter. And from there sort of um, networked my way into getting to know everybody I could in the building and um, sat down with news producers and people and just basically was like, I've done politics, let me in. <laughs> and ended up working in news and then moved across to documentaries and lots of different areas within the BBC for about on and off for maybe three, four years. And I did some, I moved outside as well and worked with um, some indie companies as well, which, which was really great to get both sides of it. And then in 2017, I'd sort of that's where um, I guess 2016 we had the Brexit vote, and I knew sort of pretty early on the impact it was going to have on farming. And the BBC at the time wasn't really covering it hugely, and I'd kept on you know bringing them issues of the Scottish farmer into work and seeing this is happening, and but they weren't overly maybe interested at that point. And then maybe a year later, I'd worked, gosh, I don't know how many elections I'd worked on by that point in Scotland. And I thought, you know, it's time maybe to, to move. And it was a colleague of mine at the BBC who sent me a job advert for the Scottish Farmer. And I had no background really as, as a journalist. I'd been doing more the kind of producing side. And I went for it and ended up very luckily getting the job. And I sort of catapulted into what was about four and a half years working with the Scottish Farmer um, in news and moving up to their politics editor following Brexit. And um, a lot more that I covered within that. I mean, Rebecca's touched on um, education side. I mean, that was a big passion of mine. I ended up doing some, I volunteer for RET. I know that you do as well. Wallace, you work closely with RET and Ayrshire and Aaron. So alongside Scotch Farmer, I was sort of building sort of different networks. So really, I hadn't really built any farming network or friendships really until I was, what would I have been around the age of 25? That's giving my age away. Um, so that was really coming in a wee bit later. And then this maybe yeah just about a year ago I um I was in conversation with Rebecca and Jane who'd reached out to me about um looking to move into comms and um do you know at that point I was stagnating a bit in the work that I was doing I loved my work but it wasn't really fulfilling me as much as I would have liked at that point and I'd always really admired I'd known Rebecca and Jane for a long time and I'd loved what they did and I'd always said if I moved into communications there was no one else I'd move for but them <laughs> and then um, initially when Rebe I'd had a conversation with Rebecca about it and it just seemed like a really great step so I started with them in the end of February last year so I've been with JCM now for 10 months so it's been yes yeah, so <laughs> it's been a whirlwind <laughs> it's been a it's a pretty good selling point but that there was no way you were going into it without it being Jane Craigie marketing I mean that yeah, we could always sell it on that itself. Um, for, for those of you listening, you probably think I've got quite a good network in the ag industry, and I, I would say I probably do. But when I first met Claire, I remember thinking, oh my God, is there anyone this person doesn't know? And then I'm sure Claire won't mind me saying this. The other two ladies in the call are 
even more. It's insane the amount of people on this call is known in the ag space. I assume if there's anyone in agriculture that between Rebecca, Claire and Jane, they don't know, I will be very impressed to hear that because it's 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 almost unheard of. Um, yeah, Jane, you started what's became an extremely notable and well-known company. We all sort of know the yellow and red of Jane Craigie marketing, certainly in, in this industry. You, you said to sort of jump into that, it'd be scary. Of course, it would be first year turnover of 6,000. Um, what made you do the first jump? What made you like, right, I'm going to go for this? Um, do you know, Wallace, I think it goes back to something which, which is now one of our big drivers. I had worked in-house for companies um, as their marketing communications managers um, to, to, for two big companies um, responsible for um, both the UK and Northern Europe. And, and we employed agencies and there's some fantastic agencies out there. Um, but I always felt that some of the agencies we used, not all of them, I always felt there was a little bit of, you know, not feeling like they were always on it, not or not feeling like they always cared and always looking at it as a way of earning money. And, uh, you know, of course, we all have to make a living, but I'm all for fairness um, and, and doing a great job. And and being kind to people. And sometimes I felt the agencies that were out there didn't do that. And, and that didn't align well with me and my values. So I thought, I'm gonna be kind. I'm not gonna overcharge, you know, so we are nowhere near the most expensive agency. In fact, we're probably one of the ones that charges the least. Um, and, and that's because I think you need to be fair in your, in your pricing, um, you know, and, and, and that was really the driver for me. Um, and I also felt there were um, some of some of the agencies that we were using, their knowledge, I felt, wasn't as good as my own and their connections weren't as good as my own. And I felt I was supporting the agency to do a good job. And of course, it's about teamwork. It is about teamwork with your clients and, and yourselves. But when the client is dominating and, and producing most of the ideas, I thought, nah. That we, I can do this on my own. Um, you know, I don't know who my clients are going to be, um, but I can do this on my own, and I can probably do a better job. And could you tell us about the the first few few months, if you will, of of jumping out on your own? Because I mean, a lot of people that listen to this podcast. The reason I originally started doing people in farming interviews were people like, "How do I get into farming or associated industries?" So tell us about that first jump, because I assume that must have been nerve-wracking to say the least. <clears throat> I would just like to quickly interrupt the show for a minute to give you some extra information on our primary sponsors, Aplan Rural. Aplan offer bespoke cover for farms and estates the UK over and will give you tailored insurance for anything on the farm from your old workhorse tractor that's been around 20 years or a fancy new and exciting diversification. It was. It was really nerve-wracking. Um, and, and luckily, at the beginning, I had a bit of a safety net. So I'd been working with a company called DBT Limited, who built websites and databases. They're now part of ProAgrica. And they were so supportive. And they, they encouraged me to set up on my own. And they gave me a two-day-a-week contract, which really helped with cash flow to start with. Um, and then I just used my network. I spoke to people about what I was planning on doing um, and people are helpful. You know, they, they think, right, is there a little bit of work that I can give Jane to do? 
Um, and one of the one of the people one of the people that gave me a really um, really really good opportunity was a guy called Jeff Mackey, who um, works for um, who has now just retired from BASF. And that was the beginning of a relationship which has is still enduring now. They're still, um, you know, our biggest client and we love working with them. And that's a relationship that's endured for over 20 years. Um, and, and that was just through a connection and somebody being kind to me and giving me a chance to, to you know, see if I could service them with what they needed. And, and thankfully I could and it worked and, and that relationship has just blossomed since then. And I would say um, bar maybe a couple of clients, I would say all of our clients come through word of mouth, um, knowing us and knowing the people in the team, which is a lovely position to be in. Well, absolutely. There's quite a sort of, I don't know if family's the word, but like a, almost like a, whole, a wholesome feel to that, isn't there? Um, Rebecca, you mentioned your work with SAYFC. Before we get into the side with with JCM, could you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, so um, I joined Young Farmers in a new role. They'd created a new role for um, Agri and Rural Affairs Manager and Comms Manager. It was a combined role. Um, so I was quite lucky in the respect that I had a, a space to shape the role, that nothing had been pre-existing. Um, but fundamentally, it was about kind of putting the farming back into young farmers not that it wasn't there but it wasn't as prominent as perhaps it had been because of all the you know there's lots of club activities the social football and the sports and the um you know the social events were probably a primary but my role was very much about looking at how we can integrate farming back into existing clubs perhaps also elevating some of the existing um agriculture activity that's happening and it was less the the lamb dressing and the the showing it was more to do with engaging with say politi- uh, political individuals it was taking them on study tours so I am very fortunate that I got to take um, 18 young farmers to both Argentina and New Zealand um, that was my most nerve-wracking visit to any country um, getting them on that plane to Argentina I've never had my heart pounding as fast nor getting them home um, but yeah I'm lucky that we took them to look at study tours across various different countries and learn from their practices to bring back here to to Scotland. Things like we um, we created and launched the very first Agri and Rural Affairs Conference. So that was something that I developed with a guy called Scott Somerville, who was chairman at the time. And it was just things that that spiraled in terms of connections. It was about that networking. You talked about it earlier. It was really important to just give young farmers the ability to connect with people who were on the ground in agriculture right through to people who are in the banks, through to lawyers, solicitors, anybody that could help shape their potential future in, in agriculture. And that wasn't necessarily saying you had to farm. It could be, you know, you wanted to be a vet. It could be you wanted to be um, a, a land agent. It was connecting them with people who could help their future careers. And then the other side of my role, the comms role, was really about elevating everything that's great at the Young Farmers and celebrating it. It was, you know, the, the press releases, the comms writing, the development of the website, the social media. So it was quite a nice combined role, really. It gave me a very good mix. The the Agri and Rural Affairs Conference is, is great. I didn't make it this year. And as fair as I haven't been, but I haven't seen what's involved in it. Just it looks like such a great weekend. Um, and... And the young farmers, Claire, you mentioned you didn't didn't really do it. I uh, I only joined this year at twenty five, you know, and and it's the first year I've done it, and the stuff I've got from it's amazing. I, I was always a bit, and this is a, it's a, a self criticism. I went to uni and did agriculture, and I always sort of 
I thought I didn't like the sort of mantra of young farmers. I was like, oh, just I didn't get it. And I usually regret that. I think I should have jumped in earlier uh, doing concert at the minute, concert practice. By the time this is out, we'll have, we'll have done Lower Nith's concert and hopefully it's been a success. It's certainly good fun at the, the practices and meeting so many folk in this area that I wouldn't have had the chance, chance to meet. Um, one question I've really got is uh, New Zealand's a country we hear about all the time folk travelling to. Argentina is famed for its beef and it's a lot of people maybe follow that with questionable beef practices is sort of the, the thing goes around but what, what was the sort of what was the focus on the study tour to Argentina? Aside from the fact that I think I've eaten more wet of my weight in beef in that two weeks than I've eaten in the whole of my life so far um, there was a big focus around looking at family succession because obviously they have very different laws over there. So um, a farm is automatically split between children. That was causing lots of issues in terms of family and, and how that impacted their ability to then actually profitably make a, a living off their farms. We would, There was a lot of talk around the political environment. There's a lot of corruption in Argentina and because of that corruption that has a negative impact on how some of the agricultural businesses were able to operate. Um, so one of the visits we went to, we went into what was supposed to be a redundant abattoir and we went around this abattoir looking around it and I'll tell you all of us to this day can still remember the smell. We walked into one of these rooms and there was a team in there packing spam and we were like what on earth's going on and the spam was being packed to give by one of the uh, political campaigns to give away as a gift to try and encourage people to vote for them and it was just being packed in this redundant <laughs> and the guy who took us around had no idea what to expect um he thought we were just yeah it was going to be empty so it was very it's very corrupt lots of backhanded things but the the big thing that we came home with was animals are finished much earlier so they're they're finished much quicker smaller beasts um going through the the market but actually they're getting really good returns on them they are being much more or they were at that time being much more productive in terms of how they were using their feedlots to ensure that they were getting the weight on the animals but not overfeeding that was costing them things like efficiencies of land so they were using really really good systems for renewables which we probably mm -hmm. Um, they were a little bit more advanced than us and even things like um, you know the shipping of grain was going obviously across water on, on boats the efficiencies of how they were putting that grain through their systems that there wasn't the time frame that we have here perhaps in the UK it was very very much a, a robotic system that we saw but interestingly actually a lot of my contacts for Argentina came from Jane because her team um, from the IFAJ had been to Argentina not long before us and it's one of those countries that I think more and more people are starting to visit because it is just phenomenal what we can learn from it. And what, what breeds is it mainly there? Is it breeds we see here or is it different? Yeah, we saw a lot of Aberdeen Angus, um, a lot of Aberdeen Angus. In fact, probably that was the majority <clears throat> that we saw during the, the time. Um, but they were doing, and, and actually a lot of the genetics that we saw had been inherited from herds in the UK. Um, there was a lot of importing and exporting of, of um, semen across country which I think is a compliment to Scotland in terms of they really do value what we do here and, and the breeds that we have. But yeah, Aberdeen Angus is probably the primary we saw. In the feedlots, it was all sorts of mix and match. And it is, it does take a little bit of getting used to, I don't know what you thought, Jane, but going and standing at the top of a feedlot and looking down and seeing thousands of beasts in small pens in a feedlot, it's just a very it felt very abnormal to what I'm used to because obviously here in the 
UK, they're in big grass fields, they roam, they're not in these um, sand-based feedlots. Um, but you'll have seen the same, Jane, did you not? Yeah, we did. We we actually saw some some grazed um, areas as well around sort of lakes, um, and they were mainly Herefords, um, and they were out in the pampas um, grazing, and they used to move these cattle through um, because it was so watered, uh, such a watered area. They would actually move them by swimming them across the rivers. Um, the same with horses. So they had horses and cattle grazing on the same ones. But yeah, so we saw a lot of the grass fed systems, which was um, much more extensive. Um, and, and the beef was absolutely beautiful. Um, small animals, as Rebecca says, um, finished on grass. Um, and they actually, the, the farm we went to, they'd killed a heifer in the morning, spatchcocked her from from pole to, to tail um and laid her on some weld mesh um you know gutted her marinated her in a bit of oil and, and spice um and put her on some weld mesh and lit a, a wood fire underneath her and you know our, our beef in scotland is absolutely incredible but that beef that day was amazing absolutely amazing and that was a decent slaughter did you see they they slaughtered her in the morning um, and put her on the weld mesh, and we were eating her by two, three o'clock in the afternoon. Wow, that that's that's an experience we probably just don't have. Even even us on farms, you know, and that, that sort of side of things. Wow, I mean, I was kind of expecting it to be mainly Aberdeen Angus because when I think Argentina, you just think black. That's what you see. That's uh, when when you think about cattle. But from from Aberdeen Angus to Belty, it's clear. Could you tell us? We get quite a lot of listeners that. I've had maybe four or five people that have got in touch looking at, at journalism in particular and agriculture. Um, you found your way in in quite of what would I say, an unorthodox way um, through the BBC, first from a political side and then moving into to agriculture with the BBC lightly, but then then more in with the Scottish farmer. Could you tell us um, just about the sort of process involved in, in getting in that, that way, if you will, that method? Yeah, well, um... It's funny, I guess I sort of did it the other way around to a lot of people because um, you do find in general that papers right now are struggling. Um, a lot of things are moving online. Um, like the BBC, it, you tend to find that people move from the papers to the BBC. So, so when I was in the building, there was a lot, especially even radio, a lot of people were moving over into the BBC. So when I did leave, everyone sort of said I was a bit mad. You know, why would you leave? You know, you're, you've made it into an organisation which is which is comfortable and you are supported. It's well paid. There's you, you've kind of got your sort of journey laid out for you. But um, the thing that I struggled with the BBC is... I guess that sense of individuality as well and, you know, wanting to have the kind of specialist knowledge, the relationships with people on the ground, whereas I found when I was there, you know, apart from when I worked in elections, which I really loved because I really pushed the, I, I, I started an initiative at the BBC where I got us to go out into universities and colleges and speak to young people about coming in and attending our debates and trying to get them interested in the democratic process. And that was something I really drove to try and connect with younger viewers. And that's something they hadn't really done before. And I loved that because I loved being out there and speaking to people. But the majority of my work was sort of, removed and even now I've still got a lot of contacts I still do quite a bit of thing work with the BBC but it is a little bit of a bubble it can be a bit insular in that sense whereas um it was amazing when I when I 
took that jump to move towards the Scottish farmer, it really hit me just, you know, you're on the ground working with people and building a really, you know, organic relationship and and you know even as a farmer I was interviewing a farmer this morning who I interviewed maybe a, a month or two into starting with the Scottish farm and we built up our relationship over the last you know five or so years that I now go back to them I know their farm I know their history I know their family I've seen that and that's what drew me more towards that side of things and, and, and I just love that and I couldn't leave it now and it's, it's interesting because once you develop a specialism and a passion, you become emotionally entwined in that industry. It's very hard to become a generic court reporter or to become, you know, I I, I personally couldn't do it now. You know, there's obviously there's temptations for that easier life. And, you, you, you know, I know Jane and Rebecca are the same. You know, we all go to bed at night and we worry about the fate of the industry and about conversations that we've heard, whether it's through board meetings that we've sat in on or interviews that we've done. And we worry about their families and the impact but in a way, I wouldn't change that because you care so much more about it. And you'll find that as well of your work, Wallace, as well. You know, I think in farming, it's such a small community. And I know it's huge. It's vast. And there's so many areas. And I can say one thing. I find the BBC makes me laugh sometimes because I just think when they view farming, they'll say, you know, someone's a farming expert. But I'm like, it's very hard to be a farming expert because it's just so different in terms of you know our knowledge I will admit I'm not very good on arable I'm trying to get better on arable it's one of my weaknesses it always has been so I push myself to do more of in that field but um you know to be an expert on all things agriculture it's just near and impossible it's so vast and until you work in farming you know I remember when I first moved and I was totally naive I thought you know in a few years I would know everything and you know I there's so much I don't know and I learn something new every single day which is absolutely amazing <laughs> and everything joins on whereas I guess at the BBC you would do a story and you'd move on to the next one and there wasn't that link you weren't building on a skill set or a knowledge whereas now I can apply my knowledge or meetings to the next thing that I do which is just yeah and it makes you it makes you a better content gatherer story seeker I mean Jane Rebecca and I we all call ourselves story seekers because that's what we do. We love to meet people and hear their stories and share them. But that comes from being invested and having a knowledge and all those, you know, all those conversations added up. I like the idea of a story seeker. I like that. <laughs> um, and, and in fairness, this is maybe discredited what you said there. I don't think it's difficult to find good stories in this in this sector. There's so many positive things. And I think we spoke on the, the podcast for Rhett last week. I think it was Christine that said, maybe it was Elaine, so many farmers say I don't have a story and it's like that's just so not true it's well, so you know, not true Wallace I did a, I did an interview last week with the, the exec producer on This Farming Life and you know we were chatting about they're they're filming their sixth series at the moment and she's been on she's been exec producing which is quite unusual within documentary terms for for five seasons and she mm. said you know if someone had said to her you know is there going to be original content every year are we going to have new stories of family she said she'd never have believed it but she was like what makes her job so special and this farming life so special is because it's endless the amount of stories that she's you know she's you know revealing and it was so lovely speaking to someone who isn't from farming who's working to showcase farming and give it a platform and she was just saying it just amazes her every year what she uncovers from farming I just thought it was really lovely. That is, is and, and for those of you listening, if you do want to hear some stories of those in farming life, there's a hopeless plug coming. Uh, with <laughs> Stephen, Stephen Mitchell, Ewan and Emma, Lynn Brett Croft. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, there's probably more. 
I've had so many from this formula. I think it was five. I can't remember everyone, but um, if you want to go listen to some of them, uh, feel free. I embarrassingly have never seen it. <laughs> I, don't, I don't really watch telly, so I'm, uh, yeah. Uh, oh, uh, uh, the Roan, the Roan ladies, Ayla uh, and Tracy were on as well. Roan's daddy, um, and everyone's like, "Oh, you'll know what happens here," and I'm like, "Nope, sorry, I don't." <laughs> um, Claire, let let. I think a question I always find quite interesting. I think I asked you this when I interviewed you before. You, let's say you're working in radio and you're working in, in newspaper, the, the two you did before. Um, even if the stories are similar, you're you're putting it out in a different way. But is the research the same before that story's put out? Do you know? It's a really good question. I think. The research, I would say, probably is the same. It's the delivery and it's understanding the differences in the audiences that you're delivering that to. And um, and I guess that was the thing that I love is how you parcel up a story for print and how you do that differently for radio and television. And I, and I do work within all three. And I would say print to me makes much more of an impact. You know, it's something physical that you can hold, whether it's in a paper or it's online, you can delve into a story a lot more. So you can, you've got more time to connect with your audience and build a story. And I'm probably laughing, Jane and Rebecca know my frustration sometimes of radio and television, whereas you only have sound bites, you only have a little bit of time to get across a message. And it can be very frustrating because, like I said, there's so much to get over with farming. You know, if you're suddenly asked about what's happening in farming, it's like, where do you begin? You know, you've only got a minute to do that. And I find that and, it, and I struggle with it. I'm not and I really when I when I'm asked to do it and I end up saying stuff I regret afterwards because you're trying so hard to get it in. And um, and TV as well. I mean, you're, again, it's like you're doing a documentary, you're, you're filming for a week and you only use 10 minutes worth. I mean, that that happens and it's frustrating for the contributors. It's frustrating for the filming teams, but it's about just getting those kind of snippets. Whereas I guess with a paper, you're thinking about, I can actually tell this story. And I guess that's what's lovely with, with our JCM work as well is, a lot of it is that written longer form content to actually get those stories out there. And, and and yes, we do radio and TV for, we try and get snippets on for our clients as well, but that sort of the longer form stuff is just, that's really special. It's a, it's quite a gift to be able to do it as well. I mean, as someone who, who does a podcast and lectures, I feel like there must be so many people sick of my voice, but I feel like I can talk. <laughs> You've got different I... people that will listen to different things. It's a bit like, I'm sure I've spoken to this before, you know, I put up a post on LinkedIn, a post on Twitter, post, and I'm thinking, oh Christ, you know, I'm just like flooding everything. But actually, I'll have different followers or different people I'm engaging with in different platforms. <laughs> so it is important to get your message out in different ways and different areas to increase your reach. And it'll be the same for yourself. Yeah, definitely. And it is, the whole social media thing is very interesting to me. I think of you, Claire. I'm trying to write a PhD proposal on it. Maybe one day <laughs> more than I do at the minute. Um, Jane, I've got a question before we go into Jane Craig in marketing, because there's something that yourself and I think Rebecca have mentioned. IFAJ, is that right? Is that something? Uh, agricultural journalists. Could you tell us about, I can't remember what the IF is. I'm guessing it's international. Let's guess Federation. I don't know why I'm trying to guess this. I can just ask you. <laughs> Could you tell us a bit about what that is, please? <laughs> yeah, so the um, International Federation of Agricultural Journalists is basically um, an international group that represents countries that have individual guilds, um, agricultural journalistic guilds. Um, and they tend to span, you know, the areas that we we span as well, rural, food and agriculture. 
Um, and we have 64 member countries now um, that are members of the IFAJ. So it's in really, really strong health. Um, and I've been involved uh, probably, well, for many, many years anyway, um, and have been involved in the British Guild of Agricultural Journalists as well. Um, and one of the great things, I mean, I've got a strong background in travel and international anyway. I was brought up overseas. But I, I think one of the best ways to understand a country is through its landscape and its food um, and its agriculture by by you know by you know by link. Um, so for me, traveling um, with the IFAJ and I know people that really get into the IFAJ feel the same way um, that you learn so much about world agriculture and food. And Rebecca really eloquently explained the situation in Argentina. You know, it's a basket case of an agricultural um, nation. It's hugely productive, um, but it's so corrupt um, and, you know, it skews everything that happens within agriculture. So I think you learn so much about people, um, about the world by traveling and studying agriculture. And that's what IFAJ does so well. Um, it's also responsible for professional development. So we have every year we have an international congress, which is, um, is going to be in Canada in 2023. In 22, it was Denmark. Um, and it, it, there, there are professional development programs which allow young people um, the opportunity to travel and to learn more about communications and journalism as a discipline. And you could have, um, you could have a, a podcaster from Kenya, um, an agricultural extension office, officer from Indonesia, um, a, a financial journalist from the Netherlands, and, and that melting pot of people and cultures while you're all learning together is just a very, very special thing. It's, I mean, I, I looked at joining the British Guild of Agricultural Journalism, yes, but then I was like, am I a journalist? I don't know. And then uh, I started to think I really should join this. I haven't yet, but I think it's something I will do because, well, you've just put it. Exactly. Please do. Please, please join. I'd, I'd love to support you in joining. I think you'd get so much out of it. And here in the UK, we have just under 400 people that are members. So we're all members. Um, and it's great for training, for networking, for social events, um, for just just knowing what the buzz is in, in our area and, in, in, you know, communication and what's going on, what's making agriculture tick. And I would say probably the best people, if you are traveling, and want to see a country and want to know more about agriculture and agri-food in a nation, the best people to ask are journalists and communicators because they know everybody. Yeah, no, that's it, absolutely, yeah. And I, you, you had me at networking. I just love meeting people and <laughs> having a chat. <laughs> They're probably like, this guy doesn't shut up, and I really don't, but I, I fear enjoy it myself. Um, you, you mentioned sort of you started obviously as yourself and then and then worked up to uh, having freelancers and then now now employees. Could you talk sort of about the sort of growth of staff and and then also I assume with that clients as well? <laughs> yeah, um, really, really good question. I mean, it's been um, we've worked with all sorts of different companies and people, um, and our connections are usually through the latter people. Um, so we get to know people and they understand that we've we've either got the skills or we've got the mindset to be able to support them. So we'll fit into their businesses and vice versa. So that's been one of the most important things, having that gel between us and our clients um, where they know we're there for them. They can trust us. 
Um, so in the freelancers that I've, I've worked, that we still work with and have worked with over the years, um, the ones that have worked really well have got that. You know, they're they're there to to really help clients achieve what they need to achieve and to help them personally. And we've worked with all sorts. We've worked with banks. We've worked with levy bodies. We've worked with manufacturers. We've worked with diversified farm businesses into tourism and food, um, drink companies. We, we've, we've done quite a lot in, in, in Scottish tourism latterly as well. Um, so it's really, really diverse. And some of those clients are international. Um, so BASF is, is, is our biggest client and we work with them globally um, and and here in in the UK um, and that's around agriculture it's supporting them in the lobbying that they do for farmers license to operate um, we work with the Oxford farming conference and have done for um, 16 17 years so we t- we like to build long-term relationships with with clients um, because you know it, it's just it's part of you know our DNA it's about relationships it's about people um, but yeah, so we've we've really grown um, over the years, um, and we do all sorts from you know as as Claire said, long form writing, um, supporting um, events in their marketing, and that could be anything from digital to um, media engagement. So it just everything in a communication and a marketing sense we we do, um, and if we can't do it, we learn really quickly. Um, so for all of us, podcasting has been a relatively new thing, but it's a beautiful medium for doing things differently. Um, and all, probably six, seven years ago, we listened to a few, but we weren't adept at producing them. Now, di- different story. We host and produce podcasts. So we're, we're a very good team at, at, at rapidly learning something and have a real strong can-do attitude. And that's something that runs through all of us. I think I think the thing I really like about podcasting is like you said you mentioned Claire like uh, a a sort of a radio interview or a television interview or or anything on radio and TV is so edited and so whittled down to the the key points you don't really get to know a person and I mean this podcast is called People in Food and Farm and I want to meet the people and I think the thing about this is when someone's speaking for an hour you you learn about them you don't just learn the key points they want to throw in you do have the odd uh, guest on that they're just a salesperson and just everything's a point but you learn sort of who the people are and that's that's the thing I personally love podcasting it's really cool that you've got a sort of dedicated team offering such a varied breadth of 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 content and how how big is the team at the minute so we we ebbs and flows depending on you know what freelancers are doing and what our core team are doing um, so Susanna has just been off um, processing 650 turkeys. So she goes <laughs> offline in November um, and comes back mid-January. So we we tend to average about 10 people, Wallace, um, with employed and, and, and subcontractors. And do you have a, you don't have to say numbers exactly, but a rough amount of clients that you have? I would say that that varies again, depending, you know, some some clients use us on a project basis, but repeatedly um, and others are long term clients. And I would say we're probably averaging uh, around 15 to 20 at any one time. Right. OK. Yeah. Yeah. It's a pretty notable in, uh, uh, operation. It really is. Um, Rebecca, could you tell us, and I know the answer to this is going to be different, so maybe give us a sort of varied answer, what the sort of 
day in the life of a Jane Craigie marketer is like? Um, that's a very good question, as you say, very varied. Um, so if I probably take more of a, a week, Wallace, um, so an average week could be anything from um, I could be in the office editing film. So that a uh, film that we have recorded. So we, we've got camera kits and we produce film ourselves. And we quite like doing mini films for social media, but also documentary style. So telling a story in a bit of a longer form. Um, I could be editing or producing a podcast um, or hosting one through to writing a press release. And that press release could be to announce a new campaign. It could be to mm. highlight a product. It could be to, to uh, talk about a new a recruitment. You know, somebody's been appointed to a new company. Um, we could be doing strategy. So that would be developing a... Um, a campaign that might run over a long period of time or it could be something very short so for example um we, we did some work with, or we're doing some work with um bsf a campaign called the biggest job on earth which is to support farmers so that they have the tools to advocate for farming um and if not i'm giving a plug to a client but if anybody wants a free t-shirt if you pop onto the biggest job on earth website you can find out more but it's a great way of um of sort of celebrating farming and it's giving them the tools and the, the license to really talk about what they're doing in a comfortable environment. So we've been working with them on the strategy behind that and how we can bring that to the UK and how we can really elevate that this year through to um, things like posting on social media. We can be pulling analytics to see what the data is doing. We all get great pleasure in demonstrating that something's working really well and, and that that's been a real success for a client. It, it's so varied, but the one thing that is consistent every single day is we are talking to people and we are about people everything is people centric you know we'll be picking up the phone we'll be um emailing people we'll be talking about them on social media and you'll see through all of our jcm channels and any clients we work we put people at the center we're not about um generic corporate messaging it, it's got to have a connection to the land the people and, and everything that we're doing i mean at the end of the day everything that is a connection everything that is a client everyone that is buying anything or whatever is people <laughs> sometimes the corporate messages just um well, sometimes they very rarely are good and personal and yeah they're just so nonsense and they're all the same for every company like <laughs> they're almost the exact same thing um claire you're obviously sort of a not a new recruit 10 months but i assume one of the newer recruits uh, could you tell us well this may be one for everyone but i'll, I'll pass it on for you to start claire some of the sort of the the that we've touched on them through as we go but some of the sort of main marketing methods that you're using as a marketing team well first of all i just wanted to pick up on something rebecca said wallace and it was about the people comment and it just goes back to why i joined jcm and that is because that is that's a value in their team that i related to because that's what i love is working in a company and organization that puts people first and that's just something I wanted to absolutely stress because that's why I love journal I love the journalism that I did when it was about people and the stories and the connection and that is something that I think is and I'm not going to say that other marketing comms companies don't do that but I think that is particularly what's at the core of JCM and that's why I love what they do is because people matter and the stories matter so sorry I just wanted to quickly <laughs> say that Sorry, ask your question it's, again. No, it's, it's quite it's quite clear that that is a sort of that's the vibe <laughs> I get off of the three of you. It's clearly the mantra that's built on as well. So I, I totally get that. Um, 
what was I asked? Uh, yeah. Well, do you know, I, I'll be honest and say if it's a question specifically on marketing, I'd probably say I'm not your best person to give you our marketing methods. I would say if it was a comms related question because I'm so much very much building in my journey. So I don't want to discredit the ingenuity of my team by saying my opinions on that. So I would probably say if you want to direct that to Jane or Rebecca, I think that would be better placed. I hope you've kicked your feet up and got comfy and enjoying another fantastic episode of the R2Cast with another really interesting guest. I would just like to quickly take another second to plug the sponsors of the show today, The Scottish Farmer, and I would strongly advise you to go out and pick one up this week and see even more of the fantastic people that are in our industry. I tell you what, I'll do that in a second. Could you tell us a bit about what you do with Jane Craigie Marketing? <laughs> Talk about the comms side. Uh, and I'm sure you will not discredit that at all. <laughs> no, so, so you've said there, so I've been on this journey for 10 months and a bit like I said earlier, every day is a learning day and it's been the same. You know, when I joined JCM, I'd never done that role before. It was a completely, you know, I think I think I turned 30 like two weeks before and just totally changed my job, stayed with the same industry, changed my job. And I, and you know, it's been like, you know, learning a whole new process of what we do using similar skills but just having to like Rebecca's just said the breadth of what we've had to do is just it's quite unbelievable because before I'd find a story write a story that was really it that that is I mean that is what I did and I did a lot of it but um it's been what has been amazing is the variety in terms of for me the big thing has been working with clients I mean Jane and Rebecca have done that for a long time I'd never worked for a client. I'd never had, I guess, the term, the idea of having multiple bosses. I'll never, I mean, I still always will see Rebecca and Jane as my boss, but then you are working for a client. So, you know, you're trying to juggle. I think that's what maybe is quite interesting from my perspective is that is something I'm still learning is the idea in the morning. I could be speaking to a client that I'm helping to organize, not organize the event, but maybe support with the journalists coming to the events, support with maybe a press release or any of the content coming from that the filming so I can be having that conversation in the morning in the afternoon I'm going to call with another client discussing a social media strategy and then in the afternoon you know later on that day I'm talking about a specialist feature on potato cyst nematodes which again mm -hmm. my arable knowledge isn't my strongest but that's fascinating because I need to learn always so you know I guess it's for me what's been absolutely amazing is learning to juggle different plates Rebecca's your person to speak to about that. She's phenomenal at it. I'm still very much learning to juggle and to be able to put aside the different clients and what you're doing. And I think that is it's agency work, isn't it? I mean, you have to be able to balance the demands of lots of different things, but that's what keeps the variety interesting in, in what we're doing as well. The, the juggling thing, funnily enough, I'm literally learning juggling at the minute. <laughs> <laughs> this is part of the desk um, that nobody should see. Uh, but see, watching people that juggle so many things, like you mentioned, Rebecca, there, you're one, Claire, Jane, you're one as well. It's so cool to see how much some people can fit into their day or their, their week or whatever. Um, <laughs> I, I love watching, like, some of the folk you follow on social media, like, I'm like, how are you doing all this? Where's the time coming from? Well, um, I had um, last week, I think it was. I think I've probably already explained this to you, Rebecca, but I think it was maybe last week, whereas, because I've been, I sort of do some freelance work a little bit on top of things as well. So whether that's like a report to the BBC on an update on farming, that sort of thing. I think there was one week where Rebecca and I were working together on a project, which was like kind of within JCM, but slightly separate. So we were both spending time on that. 
then I was writing up features for maybe different clients and then I was sort of researching to give updates to the BBC and then I was writing a column and it was like trying to pull on so many different things and at the time it was quite stressful I'll be honest <laughs> I really was like oh my goodness can I actually do this but then looking back you're like that is an amazing skill to be able to do that mm -hmm. it makes it makes every next challenge that we meet seem completely doable because I, I do think, and that's the thing is before I was challenged at times, I was stagnating a bit in my last job. Whereas now I feel like, you know, there's, I'm always developing, personally developing, you know, professionally developing. And that's something I think it's so easy to stagnate. And I think that's, that's where you stop being creative. You stop caring, being motivated. The people side doesn't matter. Whereas actually when you're, being challenged that's when it just fires up your cylinders <laughs> it's it, it's true and it's, it's funny you mentioned it as a skill it's probably true I mean like currently at the point of this podcast recording I'll have hopefully just done a successful address to the haggis I don't know the address <laughs> to the haggis <laughs> I've been really trying to learn it in the last couple of days and there's one line I cannot get but anyway we'll get there uh, but yeah it is it is quite cool to see folk, the amount folk can fit in uh, this is maybe a question for all of you in fairness um, I'll, I'll let you guys decide two answers maybe answer between you. you you've got you said you know somewhere in the ballpark of 20 clients um how do you specifically tailor to those clients? Because someone's going to be over here wanting this thing. Someone's going to want this thing. How, how does that sort of discussion come about? Do they know what they want? Do you have an idea of what they will want? Or, or how do you sort of come to that agreement? I think Rebecca probably touched on it earlier, which was, you know, we always go back to the strategy. You know, why are they doing what they're doing? Um, and, and then we're very good at coming up with lots of ideas about how they can implement that. But quite often we go back to the basics of, of interrogating the why um, and, and helping them pull together the strategy. So often we have teams that we work with with our clients who, who are campaign focused. So they've got a short window of maybe six months promoting beef, for example. Um, we'll take it back to the basics of why they're doing it, what do they want to achieve? Um, and we'll put together a strategy for them, for the communications. And, um, you know, Rebecca mentioned her typical week. Um, we will then look at the different mechanisms that are best um, enabled for them. Um, and then it comes down to the bit that we all love, which is the creativity, you know, finding the stories. How do you tell that story well? How do you get the points of difference across for your client? their purpose. So we will always come back to their essence and their purpose and their credibility. Those three things are absolutely sacrosanct. And as soon as, as, soon as you stray away from that, um, then you're in trouble. So we really want to help people build their brands through their communications. It's not just about telling a story piecemeal. Um, and we're all very good at that. And, and it's because we care and because we're embedded in the people being successful and, and achieving what they want to achieve. There's nothing nicer when you get an email from a client saying, wow, we've been in every single journal we wanted and more. Um, or this podcast had 2000 listens in the first week. You know, that's joyous for us because we've done our job well, but we've made our client happy. Yeah. And it, it's, <laughs> I'm not focusing purely on the podcast side but it's, it's interesting how like when I put a podcast out I have a rough idea as to what I'm going to get some larger guests will, will change that but it, the the marketing side that's always confused me and, and kudos to you guys for managing this that you can meet with someone create a, a form of content podcast long form whatever 
and that that could be successful. And I find it so interesting. I mean, I looked at doing a master's in international marketing before I chose food security at Sterling, um, food security at Glasgow marketing at Sterling. Uh, and it's always fascinated me. And it's really cool to hear you, you three sort of talk about it and, and the processes involved behind it. Um, it's it's a it's a company that I'm going to guess if people are listening to this in Scotland, they'll have heard of you. You, it's a name that I was aware of before I knew what it was. <laughs> it's one of those ones that just seems to be that way. And, and it's, it's as I said, it's been really fun to sort of get get behind you guys, get understand what, what the, the sort of process is involved, as I said, and also your stories, because I really like to hear where folk have came from and how maybe where their ideas have, have originally came from. There's, there's a couple of questions I ask um, at the end of the podcast and I'll ask this to all three of you uh, which is kind of similar to what I ask in the individual podcasts but also slightly different so the first one is where do you see yourself in five years and the second one is if you had to describe the company quickly to someone how would you do it and I'll ask that to all three of you you can decide who goes first <laughs> so five years um I'm I'm I would say uh, still very much embedded in in agriculture, what it does and telling its story um, and doing that better. You know, we have a duty of care for that. Um, and food, you know, food is such a complex area now. And, and you know, Claire very eloquently when she goes on to the BBC will talk about the trade-offs of, of, of food choices um, and, and environmental choices. So I hope um, that we will be at the centre of communicating that um, in five years' time um, and, and the difficulties therein. And um, how do we sum up? So what was the second question? How do we sum up what we do? Yeah, just if someone in the street asked you what it was, how, how would you tell them? <laughs> we help businesses tell their stories better. And Perfect. people. And Very people tell their stories better. <laughs> That was perfect. Uh, Rebecca, clear. This is where we should have gone first, so we should don't if we get the good ideas. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing. I, was, I did this. I did this with Ray Irshanaran, and Christine goes, "Working with Ray Irshanaran is the best thing in the world." And then, like, how'd you follow that? <laughs> what, what you say after that? <laughs> you got it. Um, I suppose in five years' time, I again, like Jane, I still see myself embedded in in agriculture, rural and food. Um, I see myself still very firmly with JCM, and that is for me. That's my journey. That's my life. I don't see me changing. Um, part the culture that Jane has built at JCM is phenomenal, um, and I think that goes a long way. If you've got a good team around you, why change something? As long as you're still being challenged, um, which. I feel like I am every day by our clients and by what's changing in the industry. Um, yeah, I don't see that change yet. I think technology will be very different. And I think in five years, in the, even in the, the last five years, things have evolved. I can't wait to see what new tools and techniques we'll be using, but I think it will be very, very different to what we're doing now. Um, so that's quite exciting. My week will be even more busy doing various <laughs> different things. Um, how do I sum up JCM um, and what we do? I think for me, it, I've said it earlier, it's all about talking and sharing people. It's about putting people at the heart of absolutely everything we do and ensuring that their stories are articulated in a way that they would like it to be shared in a way that reflects them and reflects the values that they hold. Very good, Claire. <laughs> I don't know how I'm now going to do a better summary. 
because <laughs> I'm not going to because I think you both said things I would say I'll start with that one I guess just celebrating and showcasing the brilliance of farming and its and its organizations I don't know maybe I'm not very good at on the spot thinking about what to say but I think it's yeah being an advocate a supporter um a promoter of farming and, and, and organizations maybe but um five years time it's just going to be the same as Jane and Rebecca you know we so love working within the farming industry and I think that has become incredibly clear for me in the last few years that I think the passion that I've got for that I don't think that's going to change I can't I you never know what's going to happen but I would love to stay within farming and food rural and islands for for my future and I think I want to continue being a communicator a storyteller a story finder and seeker so that's where I see that I don't know I, I'm just about to start a Nuffield scholarship and I think that will open ideas and make me think differently and challenge me to think you know what is my future path and I think that's I'm just going to sort of allow myself to immerse within that journey and I think it's um I think it's funny I think you, you're I don't think your path is ever completely linear I think things change and challenge it and, and swerve in different directions but I think it'll always come back to supporting um, food and farming and people and that that's what I'd love to to still be doing I love that all of you were worried that you didn't sum that up perfectly and you all summed it up <laughs> in way brilliantly <laughs> you can tell what you can tell what line of work you're in can I say that in five years, I'd love to be living in the countryside with, with a small holding, some animals and potentially some kids. But I don't know. That's five years. Who knows? <laughs> that's it. You never know. You never know. I think that's and I was going to say, Claire, I can guarantee in five years time, I will still not have milked a dairy cow on my partner's farm. <laughs> so we definitely know. <laughs> is, is there a reason? Like, <laughs> I, I just... I always swore I would never ever settle down with a dairy farmer and what am I doing settling down with a dairy farmer but I will not milk his cows so Jane and Jane's actually milked more of his cows here than I have so that's <laughs> <laughs> oh amazing I love that love that um just quickly clear is there much you can tell us about the Nuffield scholarship or are you not allowed to divulge too much yet oh I um would you do you want me to go into it just now yeah absolutely yeah. um what I'm again actually it's quite similar to what JCM does it's it's about how can we build strong relationships between farmers the media and policy makers and I just want to travel the world and like actually Argentina is one of the places I'm going to be traveling to which is for lots of the reasons Rebecca and Jane have touched on and just to look at examples from different countries of best practice or worst practice you know where where is there great examples of strong engagement and support for for farmers and, and these kind of interplay of relations and where is it weaning where is the sort of support turned against the, the the farming industry and it just how can we best equip um our farmers here with these examples and maybe create some sort of toolkit that they can think you know if, if challenges arise in the head of new policies developing it's how can we maybe think to be better included at the decision making table and actually get through to the media get through to to policymakers, but it's, it's a two-way street, isn't it? It's about both sides engaging and, and being part of those conversations. So that was a very long-winded way of talking about it. <laughs> Not at all. Very interesting. Very interesting. And, and for and it has been the whole the whole podcast. It's been a, a good podcast, in fairness. I've probably had my eyes on for a while, but I only started this group idea and 
managed to bring it about in the last few weeks. So thank you all three of you for managing to spare some time between Christmas and New Year. That is much appreciated. I hope you've enjoyed coming on yourselves. <laughs> Very much so. Very much so. <laughs> I'm glad. Glad. And Claire at the end there mentioned about Nuffield Scholarship. So if you are listening and that is of interest to you, I think R2Cast81 will be with Michael Blanche, who is quite a well-known Nuffield scholar. So we've got someone else coming on having done that. Last week we had, and I'm so excited about this podcast, we had Emily Adicott-Savoie. And I'm sorry, Emily, you've never told me how to pronounce it, so I might have butchered that entirely, but I'm sure you know who I mean. Um, she is, from what I understand, one of the very few quinoa growers in Britain. So that was uh, an interesting one to talk about. And next week we'll have Instagram... Um, Elite, I think we have to say, in the ag space with Dizza Walters. She is very entertaining and it is a good podcast coming up there as well. So thank you very much to Jane, Rebecca and Claire. And I hope you have all enjoyed listening and we will see you next week with Dizza. See you then. I hope you've enjoyed another excellent episode of the R2Cast. I just want to take this moment to quickly thank our primary sponsors once more, A-Plan Rural. If you follow A-Plan on social media, you'll see the work they're doing to really promote British farming and back our industry. It's been a pleasure working alongside A-Plan Rural so far and long may it continue. The values of A-Plan Rural runs perfectly in line with the whole mantra of Rural to Kitchen and I'm glad to have them on board. Check them out on Instagram at A-Plan Rural and on Facebook at A-Plan Rural Insurance. See you for the next podcast.